Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Happy Monday, caffeinators. Welcome back to another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe, which is not the official podcast of Major League Baseball yet, but it's good to have goals. We thank everybody for uh, for tuning in. Thank you all of our caffeinators for continuing to support us and, and like us and subscribe to all of our channels for uh, purchasing our merchandise and continuing to Patreonize us. We really, really appreciate all the support. If you're new to the Vet Tech Cafe, if this is your first time here, definitely head over to vettechcafe.com for all of our info, links to our store, um, previous episodes, a little bit about us, all of that kind of stuff. Definitely like, follow, and subscribe to us on all of our channels. We'd really appreciate that. Dave, how's it going out there? What's on your mind? This episode is going to upload in a, in a while, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now just... Getting back into the swing of things, as you guys know, I had I had the COVID a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. Today, I actually went out for a run, which felt good, even though it was ridiculously hot. And getting ready to go to AVMA, so that's that's going to be fun. Uh, by the time this uploads, AVMA will be over, and it was great to see everybody. I hope you all enjoyed the swag <laughs> that I brought to you. <laughs> um, but things are going good here. How how are you guys doing out there? Uh, we're good. Molly's going back to work here in another week or so. And you still have um, like so a month left, be, right? Yeah, yeah. Still have a few weeks after that, so that'll be uh, that'll be a, a change. But I think it's going to go well. I feel like we're getting into a pretty good place with all of that. So yeah, so it'll be a uh, be a little bit different. But and is, uh, and is Daphne, yeah. Daphne know the plan? Uh, I, you know, we've talked to her about it. I don't know how much she understands, but I, I, I think she's going to do okay with it. So good, we'll, good, we'll good, see, good. right? Best, best laid plans, best laid yeah. plans. Fingers crossed for you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have another awesome episode coming your way today. Uh, we have Natalie Herring coming by the Vet Tech Cafe and Natalie attended Delaware Technical and Community College where she earned her associate's degree in veterinary technology and became a licensed veterinary technician, so an LVT in 2002. After working at other veterinary practices, she began working at the Veterinary Specialty Center of Delaware uh, that year and had worked in several different specialty departments before finding her passion in ophthalmology, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, in 2018, that hospital uh, became uh, Blue Pearl Christiana after being par- uh, acquired by Blue Pearl Veterinary pa- Partners, and she is now the specialty veterinary technician manager. She has been a member of the previously titled Veterinary Ophthalmic Technician Society 
what is now known as the Academy of Veterinary Ophthalmology Technicians. Since 2003, was president starting in 2011 and is now the past president. They gained NAVTA recognition uh, for AVOT in 2016, so she is a charter member of that academy, and she received the Alumni of the Year Award from Delaware Technical and Community College uh, in 2016. Um, she does a lot of demonstrational videos for like Tonovet, a lot of how-to videos, has done a lot of done a lot of articles, lots of stuff regarding uh, ophthalmology uh, in veterinary medicine. So super excited to have her come by the Vet Tech Cafe today. Natalie, what can we get you for a cup of coffee? Hey, guys. Um, so I hate to say this, but I'm not a coffee drinker. That's okay. Um, That's okay. You're not the first. You won't okay, be the last. I, I, yeah, I definitely, I know I was looking the first at least. Um, so, you know, I do occasionally drink caffeine. The people around me don't appreciate it that much. I'm pretty <laughs> naturally energized. Um, so I usually stick to my green tea that I'm currently drinking in a cute sloth mug, um, Love it. you know, that my daughter gave me. Uh, so that usually keeps me from getting too jittery. So green tea today. <laughs> will do. Will do. We'll get right on that. Um, if you don't mind, uh, take us through your career path. You know, I've kind of mentioned a few things in your bio there, but there's always some really interesting stops and starts along the way with our guests. So take us through that and then we'll jump off with the rest of our questions from there. Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, like some of us, I've always known what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something with animals and I learned about vet med. I, you know, definitely knew that was something I wanted to be a part of. My dad was a Philadelphia police officer and he worked the canine unit. So that always piqued my interest of canine training. Um, I had shepherds in the house with us, one that I was super close with as a kid, you know, who was so well-trained, actually had kind of saved my dad, you know, <laughs> a couple of times over the years. So that definitely brought me around to vet medicine. Thanks to a Purina commercial when I was little, I also wanted to be a pug owner and breeder. Um, I'll tell you that later why I'm not, but um, I, they were cute. I was young. Pugs are pugs, um, but mm -hmm. definitely not a good idea. So that's kind of where I started things. I graduated, like we said, past my VTNE in 2002. And the college that I had gone to was about an hour and a half away from where I lived. So each oh, day wow. I went back and forth and traveled. You know, I was really the only one from Upper Delaware who was traveling back and forth. Most of the other, actually all of the other uh, students that were in my class actually lived downstate. So for me, when it came down to doing an externship, I was working at a general practice up here in Wilmington, um, which I had done nights and weekends at while I was going to school. And when I was there and we talked about an externship, it was pretty much assumed that I would just stay there since I had somewhere to go. Um, and then one of our teachers had let us know that there was the specialty practice that happened to be also in Wilmington, close to where I was. And they had opened about two years prior to that. So they were still very new. And because I had a place to work, she said, listen, as I know you're close to there, but let's not have you jump on that. Let's see if anybody else that needs a place to go. And again, lucky for me, nobody wanted to take the drive up like <laughs> I was taking the drive down. So I was like, I want that. You know, I want to know what's going on there. Specialty sounds amazing. So luckily I was accepted for their extern. It was their first extern that they had ever taken on. This is where I learned that specialties existed, right? So I had done, you know, my rounds through ER day, ER overnight. We were very small at the time. So our overnights were not what they are these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were much, <laughs> much slower. We had dermatology, cardiology, internal medicine, 
surgery, dentistry. So I got to experience a little bit of all of that, which I loved each and every aspect of. So then finishing my externship, I was offered a full-time job in surgery. So I was like, sure, I'm not sure exactly if that's what I want to stay in, but I definitely didn't want to leave this place. Um, They were so welcoming and I learned so much in that short period of time that I knew I wanted to stay. And then within about six months, we knew we had an ophthalmologist coming and it was going to be our first ophthalmologist to the practice. One of the surgery techs was actually planned on being his technician. And, um, you know, the more she talked about it, I was like, wow, that sounds really fun. And then just a few weeks before he was supposed to arrive from Arizona to Delaware, his technician said, I'm moving to Georgia with my husband. So she was up and leaving. So this person that he had been communicating back and forth with, getting his supplies ready, you know, kind of basically starting this before he got there, she was like, okay, I have to go. So they opened up this position and I thought about it and I was like, wow, there's no, nobody else really doing ophthalmology. So I did what any normal younger sister does is I go and ask my older brother. He's much wiser than me. And I said, this is what I want to do. What do you think? And he was all bored, you know, was like, gave me the confidence to say, you should do this. This is something different. What's the worst that's going to happen? You don't like it and you go back to a different specialty, but you definitely should try it since no one else is doing it. So I did. I was able to get the job, although my management team was super skeptical. They were like, you just got done school. You've only been, you know, an extern. Now you've been in surgery. This is a doctor coming that we don't even know ophthalmology ourselves, you know, and I'm (laughs) like, great, neither do I. So we'll all do this together. And he showed up one day and said, hey, so you're my tech. And I was like, sure am, you know. (laughs) That's me. And he was like, what do you know about eyes? I was like, a whole lot of nothing. In school, they didn't teach us a lot. And honestly, they still don't, which is part of why I like to teach a lot of general technicians because they don't get that experience in school. And he was like, okay, well, I guess you're going to learn. And I was like, I'm ready to go. Like, I was like, I'm a sponge. We can do this. So right off the bat, we were busy. I was like, this is definitely a need for the specialty and people were coming and I was like, wow, people want to come see a dog eye doctor. Even me being in it, I thought it was kind of crazy and we were often, I was learning cataract surgery, things that I did not expect to do and didn't really know much about obviously before and nobody really did in my practice. So we expanded the department over the years. It was just me for the first couple of years. So talk about work-life balance. I didn't have one. I was young and career driven and so was he. So we both were like, we're going to do this and you know, this is this is where I'm going to focus. We ended up getting another technician finally to join me and now we're up to four and now we're up to like six. So over the years, we've definitely grown and we have two ophthalmologists now versus for the longest time, it was just him and I. And then eventually I became the department supervisor, which was great. But during that first year with him in ophthalmology is where I learned about the VOTS society that you mentioned. I realized that they had these annual meetings. They had been in practice already play for like eight or 10 years at the time, I want to say, uh, maybe a little bit less. And they were doing great. And I was like, he told me all about it. was like, I really think you should go to these meetings. And I was like, all right, well, sure. I'll go. So it was close by to Delaware. It was in DC. So I drove to DC and I was welcomed by people that were all in ophthalmology. And it was amazing to me, you know, to go to your first conference with people that do what you do, especially when you're the only one in your state that does it. I felt kind of lonely, you know, at first, um, because I didn't have any other technicians at the time with me. So going with them, I was like, wow, there's a lot of you. There's a lot of people. And some of them were his techs that he worked with in Arizona who were giving me all the dirt on him and things <laughs> of how to, how to work with him over the years. So, and now I give other people the dirt um, myself. <laughs> But, um, you know, I mean, you guys get it. You go and you get to see these people every year. And I form these bonds with these people and uh, you don't get to see them and talk to them throughout the year. But when you all meet up, it's so fun, you know, to talk about new things and being a part of just this group of people that I didn't know existed was great. 
And then within a few years of attending those meetings, I wanted more out of those meetings. You know, I wanted to be a part of the society. I wanted to be on the board. And they started talking about NAFTA and academies and they wanted to be an academy. And I was like, what is that? You know, so I started looking into the academies and, you know, was like, wow, we're just a society. Like we can be an academy. We can do this. So I asked to be a part of it. But at the time I was only in ophthalmology for like maybe four or five years. And you had to be in at least seven years, I think it was at the time. So I said, well, even though I can't be actually on the founding committee at the moment, but can I do anything to help? You know, I wanted to be a part of whatever I could. And I kind of stood in the background and watched over the years of people kind of overturning of board members, dealing with NAFTA, writing bylaws and trying to start that process. And it never really came to fruition. So in 2011, I want to say, yeah, 2011, we were at a meeting and it was uh, it was just for the society and it was an election year. And they were kind of turning over a bunch of people that had been doing it for a really long time. And I had grown to know these women and they were great people. And myself and my two coworkers were like, we should just do this together. Like, let's run and see what happens. So they were like, well, you have to be president. And one of us was like, I'll be treasurer and, or secretary. And the other one's like, I'll be vice president. They had a treasurer that was running. So we were like, great. Great. And we were elected. So we were like, oh, wait, we all three of us. So it was like kind of cool because we were one of like the only places that had technicians in the same practice. So it was kind of easy communication wise, you know, to only have one person outside of the practice to talk about each annual meeting because VOTS doesn't, and we still don't, we're working with that now, but we ran our own meeting separate from ACVO, but it ran in conjunction with the yearly ACVO meeting. So we commissioned all of our own sponsoring, all of our own speakers, um, and we basically had a tech track, but also a separate registration. So it wasn't just running with them entirely. So we did a lot of that grunt work. So mm. we were like, what did we just get ourselves into? <laughs> but uh, after our first meeting the next year, we realized we all really liked it. And I liked dealing with the sponsors and, and meeting people, which is how it got me to network into doing some of these instructional videos and things over time for the companies that you were saying before. And then we were like, okay, we're going to do this academy thing. I wanted to make it my mission. It was like, this is going to happen. Whatever I needed to do to do this, it was going to happen. So we had a bunch of us, including my two team members, and we had approached NAFTA and they said, you know, well, that's well and great, but you have to have exemplary technicians, right? So it was like some of your people don't qualify. And although we felt like they were exemplary, if you weren't doing publications or lecture circuit, things like that, you weren't considered exemplary. And they were very particular about the things that you had to do. So we all had to write up these very long kind of CVs about what we do in each, every little aspect of our outside of the, the, the practice life. And it ended ended up coming down to myself and four other wonderful ladies who were accepted as the founding board members and founding committee. So then from there, we started with a little bit of groundwork that was laid for us before and built off of that. We had friends in other academies. We made friends in other academies that existed basically to try to get in with this. And I will tell you, it was super hard because NAFTA changed hands. It, nothing new, but they had changed hands multiple times. The CBTS committee is not, I mean, it's so much better now than it was then, but it has, it's definitely grown. But there was a lot of other people that had changed hands to where one minute they were telling us that we needed this, the next minute they were telling us we needed that. And it was frustrating. And a lot of times we thought, you know, are we really going to be able to do this? Is this really what we 
can accomplish here. And I wouldn't give up. I kept fighting back saying, yes, they were like, do you really need an academy for ophthalmology? Are there that many of you? And I was like, you have no idea wow. <laughs> the, the underground ophthalmology. I was like, I felt like we were this like <laughs> quiet circuit of people that people didn't know. And we're very type A and we're, <laughs> we can be very loud, but we were like, yes, there are a ton of us. I mean, there's five of us already. And some people didn't even have that on their founding committee at first. So we were like, we can, you know, we can do this. We talked about the VOT society and how long it had been around and how many people attended the meetings every year and how many ACVO members and all these people. People that were coming up and they were like, okay, I guess there's, we had to basically send out like surveys and things like that just to show that there was a need for us. And then eventually in 2016, we were finally recognized and it was like the best accomplishment ever. So it was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was like a relief um, of all that years of work, but also felt great because we had done, you know, so much. We had candidates already lined up, ready to go. So we had four that uh, had passed the initial application and we really, what we were told was you have to pass your first set of students before we're even considered VTSs, even though we were actually recognized, you have to actually test your first students. So we were like, all right, we're doing this. Like who wants to do this really quick? <laughs> and we had four insane, four insane women that were like, we got this, like, we're going to do this in a shortened time frame." And they did, they did their entire packet process, you know, they aced their tests. And so then within that first year, there were nine of us. And that was actually more than some academies had that had already been recognized, right? Yeah, yeah. So we were like, see, there's nine of us. Um, and then in the past five years, we have 21. So we, we've we grown and it's not, it's no ECC. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's no, we're definitely, you know, going to take a while to get there, but there's not that many of us. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we have another four or five testing this year that we do every fall. So it's been like great awesome. to go through that whole process. Awesome. You know, yeah. one thing uh, you you said in there, it kind of occurred to me. So you started at that department in 2002 and it's 2022. I'm just curious. I mean, obviously growth and things, but if you think back to what you were doing, not only in ophthalmology in general, but as an ophthalmology tech 20 years ago versus what you guys are doing now. Do you, have, do you ever reflect on on how much it's changed in, I mean, 20 years is a long time, but it's also not that long. Yeah. Yeah. It feels really long when I tell some of the newer people coming in, they're like, <laughs> oh, how long have you been doing this? And I'm like, well, and I also say I'm like the third graduating class of that school. I'm like, mm, that sounds bad too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, learning and what I'm doing now, we definitely have a lot more autonomy now. I have myself and two other of my staff members are VTSs, one of which was the first class, the, the, next one, the other one was the second class to take. And the things that we do, the conversations that we have with clients, the education that we provide to vets in the area, the things that we, they give us the autonomy to say, okay, there's an emergency on the phone. Things that I wasn't doing then where I was, wasn't talking to general vets, I wasn't giving as much education. I was really just taking in everything he was teaching me and kind of doing things on the side. It was so much, I was so green and so young and, you know, I've watched these other techs kind of come through, but they grow so much faster now. And the education that we provide to clients is amazing. We're the ones that are going over everything with them. We're showing them how to administer everything. We're performing a lot of the diagnostic tests when we need to. Things like that, that I've grown, it's definitely changed over the years. Even if you're not a VTS, it's just an ophthalmology technician working toward that. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's so much fun. The amount of 
of client and referral vet communication that we have. They call and they know they're going to speak to one of us and they know that the answers are going to be. We have to check with you know our doctors to say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what we're going to tell them. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what you're going to tell them. And we're the ones communicating back and forth with them, which really gives us even you know kind of that more empowerment from the technician standpoint. Gotcha. And just kind of tacking on to, to Jeff's question about how the profession has changed. Um, where do you see it now? Like, how have we progressed to where we're at right now? And what do we still need to work on? Yeah, I mean, still, I... <sighs> I still, I would still like there to be even more recognition for the VTSs where I know other people have talked about the different initiatives that are in place and the nurse practitioner, things like that, you know, that have come into play and people have talked about, but actually designating those things for the VTS side of people is where I would really like to see things continue to go. I mean, there are different things that we're currently doing, blocks that we can do. There's all different little aspects, but there's it's still that side of things where even if you're not a VTS, you're still able to do those things. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but that's the point of my specialty was that, you know, I went this way and I want people to grow and be a part of something that they can better themselves, continue to better themselves, find that niche, you know, that thing that you really love to do and get to do those advanced things, suturing things like that, that you don't get to do on a normal basis. I would like to see more of that. I would like to see us better utilized. I mean, my doctor specifically can utilize us, you know, pretty well, but I do still see that unfortunately as a thing where they don't we don't have the ability to do it. And part of it's licensure and things like that, what you can and mm -hmm. can't do as a technician versus a doctor, whether you're a VTS or not. But I would really like to see that VTS status up a notch of what we're allowed to do versus what someone who it doesn't have that specialty can. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I also, also wonder, like, you know, even if you weren't a VTS, you know, working with your doctor, you have that that level of trust and that level of, of recognition. You know, he probably says, I know that she knows what she's doing. I know that I can trust her to do X, Y, and Z. Do you feel like some of that is maybe just that over time you've, you've grown that relationship or would he be comfortable letting a VTS do the same things that you do, given the fact that maybe he doesn't know them as well? Right. Yeah, good question. I still think that there's definitely a level of trust for sure. Mm -hmm. Having just new doctors coming in and kind of learning the, techni the, the technical staff to begin with. But I think that there's a level of trust still. I think that they know that, hey, this person should know what they're doing and this person you know, has that to back it up, but let's see it, yeah. see it in yeah. action. I still think they, they like mm -hmm. to see it in action. I think that it comes a little bit quicker, uh, you know, that they, because you, you have that knowledge and you can mm -hmm. kind of show your skills and prove yourself pretty quickly. Um, I've worked with other kind of going into another hospital when we were acquired um, and they said, hey, can you kind of go to one of our other locations and train the technical staff there. She didn't know me. She just knew what people had said, you know, hey, she knows what she's doing. And I still feel like, you know, when I went in there, I, I needed her to trust me. You know, I didn't want to go in there and just say, I'm this VTS and I already know what I'm doing. I went in and kind of said, this is what I usually do. What do you usually do? We formed a relationship. I think that really helps. So I think that level of trust still needs to be there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. When I think about ophthalmology patients, I feel like eyes are like teeth for some yeah. people it's for some people you either love it or you hate it or you're <laughs> you know you can be somewhere in the middle but i feel like eyes much like teeth can be very polarizing like you know i think back to when we would do enucleations in the er and like you know you would leave an eyeball in front of one of your coworkers yeah. and they would lose their that. mind and, and what have you but when you think back to that time where where this you know department was just developing was it you know really just were need and opportunity met for you or did you already 
kind of have an interest in eyes? I know you were pretty new to the field. Was it mm -hmm. like, did you didn't obviously have that kind of aversion to eyes, but was it something that you found that already interests you or it was actually just an opportunity and you just ran a with it? A little of both. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't have the aversion to eyes. I have a lot of people who do um, <laughs> over the years. <laughs> I have a lot of students that will come through and be like, I'm not a fan. Um, and then they grow to be able to look <laughs> at what's going on and not turn their head. <laughs> but for me, yeah, weirdly a lot, I'm, I'm weird in the fact that if it has to do with people or myself, if you were going to do something to my eyes, I want no parts of it. But if it's something with animals and venipuncture and things like that, I, I can handle that. Um, for me, I couldn't get blood drawn for like, I don't know how many years of my life. Um, and so I really had to, and I was like, I don't have a choice. But uh, yeah, I, I just, it was more the opportunity and the fact that I didn't hate them. I thought that learning about the specialty, I realized all the varying species and things that I would get to see too. So I try to tell people that of like, hey, I know eyes are gross and my doctor makes this one one comment of, you know, you're an eye tech when you are taking eyelids and one drops on the floor and I freak out because I thought it was a bug. And I was like, ah, in surgery. And he's like, it's an eyelid. And I was like, oh, all right, I got it. And I picked it up and threw it away. And he's like, really? You just picked up an eyelid. But if it was a bug, you were running out of the suite. I'm like, yeah, I don't understand what doesn't make sense about that. It's a bloody eyelid versus a bug. Two completely different things, right? So, you know, you, you kind of have to be that person or when there's a proptosis and you're just quickly running up to take them out of the waiting room because the clients are completely shocked of this eye hanging from its uh. head and you're like, it's fine. Everything's great. We're going to put an e-collar on it. And we're going to bring it to the back. So yeah, you definitely have to like it. But where I, I grew to love it more was the, the varying species that we've seen over the years. So like learning that we were able to work with local zoos. We've seen kangaroos, uh, great horned owls. We've done pocket pets. Snakes come in. We get to do large animal. We've had horses draw up, drive up and we're a, a, a dog and cat practice. Even after a choir, you know, we really are just a dog and cat practice. But for ophthalmology, we we don't have to be just a dog and cat practice. We've had hamsters come through, Peking ducks, chinchillas, hedgehogs. So lots of different things just from ophthalmology that we get to say, come on through the door. The ophthalmologist will see you. I mean, no one else except maybe cardiology right. will see the ferrets. <laughs> but other than that, it's kind of nice that we got to do all of that. And the doctor that I was working with had previously, before he had come, had worked at the zoos and done cataract surgery on some big cats and things. So that really interested me where I was like, oh, I don't necessarily have to just work with exotics and work with just dogs and cats because we get to learn about all different kinds of eyes. So it's not just one species, it's about their eyes in general. So you're going to have different levels of what their eyes can do, right? From an owl versus like a, a ruminant um, versus your normal dog and cat, their pupil shape, things like that. We're all amazing. And I was like, wow, I was like, this is more than just a bloody eye sitting in front of me. This is amazing. So I think when you kind of look past yeah. that, you kind of realize it's how great ophthalmology can be. I think the other thing is for me, kind of again, going into the specialty and saying, do I like eyes? I, I love pugs, right? I said, this is great. Well, I see them every day. And I realized that not only in vet <laughs> yeah. medicine is it insane to own a pug, it's insane, really insane to breed pugs. So I was like, okay. And then when I got to ophthalmology and I see them every day, and sometimes they ruin your Friday evening with a hole in their eye, you're like, mm, I don't want a pug ever, but I still get <laughs> to see them all the time. So I've never owned a pug. I'm not going yeah. to own a pug, but I get to see them all the time. So I always tease, you know, like the people in my practice that love their pugs. I'm like, yeah, I just like to play with everyone and give them back. It's like people that just aren't going to have kids. They might like to play with your kid, but they want to give them back. They want to be the fun aunt. I like being the fun aunt to people's pugs. So I think that's great. So just like those little things. And then the aspect of 
where I try to teach people about ophthalmology and how cool it is, is the systemic disease that comes into play. So lots of ocular diseases, things that present in the eye that aren't primary ocular problems are manifesting from something else in the body. So where it's nice to work in a multi-specialty practice is I'll see, we can see a patient that has quick onset cataracts and we're going to say, these look like intumescent cataracts. This patient might be diabetic. This owner may not even know their pet's diabetic. And we're like, hey, we're going to take it back for a spot BG. Hey, guess what? by the way, your pet's diabetic or a cat that comes in with like red poofy kind of clouds in their eyes. And the clients are like, it's just an eye problem. We're like, your cat has lymphoma. So we have to send you down to oncology. So we've diagnosed nasal tumors, not just cataracts, not just cancer, Lyme disease um, from retinal detachments and things based on their history. So I try to train general staff uh, or general techs in general practice to ask the right questions to kind of get to the root of things because you're going to get a better diagnosis, obviously, with any specialty when you're getting a good history, but you have to look past their eyes. So even as an eye tech, we're looking past that. And people always use the kind of corny, the eyes are the window to the body or to the soul. And (laughs) they are because there's a lot of times where clients come in and they have no idea that we're going to be telling them that their dog is uh, honestly, my own dog was hyperprotonemic and I had no idea, but she had chemosis. And I, that was the first thing I saw about her. And that wasn't going to be her eye problem. It was something else systemically was going on with her. But that was the first indicator that I saw. Weirdly enough, then she started vomiting and having more issues. And I had to take her right in and there was internal medicine waiting for me. So I try to teach people that there's so much more than just treating the eye itself. But with those systemic diseases, we have to treat the eye or otherwise the eye isn't going to get any better, but you have to treat the systemic disease. So that's something I think that people really start to get into when they learn about ophthalmology and how that all gets encompassed into things. So I think it brings people to kind of around to liking it more than they thought they did. Yeah, it's it's interesting to note that you're, like you said, the eyes are the window to the to the rest of the body. Is I've worked with, there's a company that, that works locally called Animal Eye Care. And, you know, for the longest time, I just thought they just deal with eyes. They don't deal with anything else. But you're right. There's, I mean, there's other things that we can find with that. And I, I am one of those people that, runs from eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's I, okay. I, I run from ER. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Proptose eyes. I'm like, who else can, who else is here that, that can, that can stomach right. this? Cause it's not me. But I, ironically, when I was teaching, one of my favorite labs to do in AMP was the dissection of the eye. Uh, my fear or phobia of the eyes, for some reason, I don't know if it's because it's a detached eye or what, but I was one of those people that wanted nothing to do with it, but I was fascinated by the dissection. Just getting in there and, and seeing all the, the different parts. It, it's amazing to, to hear that there are other things than just looking at ocular diseases that are mm-hmm. part of what you do, which is great. I, I, I wonder how many people that are listening right now are, are also in the, in the same boat that I am, not realizing that, oh, there's there's so much more than just yeah. cataracts and proptose eyes that you guys deal with. That's amazing. Yeah, for sure. Um, So we are about halfway through. Why don't we take a little quick break here and we'll pay some bills and we'll be back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online that's more affordable than traditional in-person therapy and financial aid is available. Caffeinators receive 10% off the first month using betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, to join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. 
You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Don't take our word for it. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily at betterhelp.com reviews. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash reviews. If you want to take charge of your mental health, visit betterhelp.com slash vettechcafe and get started today and get 10% off your first month. Be well, caffeinators. All right. Welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, everybody, where we're paid a living wage if we're allowed to pay for things with likes and downloads. So, <laughs> Natalie, we always like to ask our, our guests coming out of the break. We just had our ad for betterhelp.com. How do you manage your mental health? I know I know you talked about in very early in your career, and I think a lot of us do that as well, where you just go, 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 um, and you don't really have that work-life balance. And <laughs> some of us, I think, get into that routine and never get out of it. So how do you manage that now? I hired more people. <laughs> so that helped. <laughs> um, so that definitely helped. Part of my job now is in my management position is helping others kind of deal with it. And I have to sometimes remind myself how to how to stress relieve myself and how to step out of this kind of world, especially as a manager and close my computer. So I, I love hanging out with my daughter and my husband's really on our me time. You know, that's my time. Um, I play computer games with her. Like she plays Roblox with her friends. I learned how to play. So I'll play little things with her just to de-stress, binge watch a show myself, kind of basic things. But I do, I sometimes just have to sit quietly and remind myself that there's time for me too, and not just taking care of everybody else, which is what I tend to do. And I love my job as a manager doing that. Um, But it's hard when you have to balance your own emotions sometimes too. So really just taking those times when I'm not in the office. Um, And when I'm in the office, you know, sometimes I'll eat a bunch of gummy bears. I keep a jar of gummy bears on my desk and my gummy bears are my stress relief, but <laughs> normal stuff otherwise. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So let's talk about your role and your responsibilities as, as a VTS in ophthalmology. So what kind of procedures are you allowed to do or, or what tasks are given to you as a VTS that like a normal Jeff and I wouldn't be able to do. Yeah, I mean, there's not a ton yet is the is the hard part. Um, so a lot of times, depending on your doctor and their level of comfort, even as a VTS, um, like I was saying, in large animal, you're doing a lot more. So you're doing a lot of blocks, you're helping assist in placing lavages and things like that. So a lot of, of large animal, kind of a little bit more autonomy with doing things. In small, uh, small animal practice, depending on how some people would enucleate an eye when we first learned was just suturing things closed first and learning, you know, suture patterns and things like that for the eyelids. Temporary tarsorophy placement and learning how to do that. It's not something we get to do often, but it's something that we enjoy doing. The things that I learned how to do over time was, um, and I was young and, and now better understand and know how to do it is assisting with something called a parotid duct transposition, which is basically the fun task of taking the parotid salivary gland and rerouting it up to the eye. So you kind of go on through the cheek and underneath and back out. So they do the fun party trick of spitting out their eye. So when they have dry eye and we can't get medications to get them to produce more tears naturally, um, so then they sometimes have to do this procedure. And one of the things I learned, I'm actually in 
the instructional video that they give to the ACBO like residents was just knowing where to cut, you know, knowing how to basically dissect out this, uh, the, the salivary gland with this doctor, right? So rerouting it back up and having to help pull it back through. It's amazing. But that's one of the fun jobs of doing it is, is getting to tell people you get to teach this dog how to spit. So every time they, you give them a treat <laughs> basically to, to lubricate the eye is feed your dog a treat. Um, we had a client years ago that lived near somewhere that made chicken and their dog would go outside to just, you know, hang out in the backyard and would profusely tear because it smelled delicious outside. <laughs> so little things like that. I would like to see us utilized a little bit more. We obviously, uh, you know, know what we need when we need it, but I would like to see an even more of a utilization over time, which is one of the things we've been working toward. Um, and each hospital has like with Blue Pearl, we have more of a specific skill set. Where I would say you get to do the most too is in academic because you're getting to train a lot of residents. So you're getting to be the one that you have that autonomy to start some procedures with them, which is super helpful uh, in general practice. I mean, I'm sorry, in private practice or specialty practice like mine, without being in an academy, you don't get to do it as much. So I do know that the skill set list can change depending on who you are and where you are training, but I would like to see it more generalized. Gotcha. You you mentioned earlier when VOTS was a society and, and then ultimately, you know, gaining recognition from NAPTA and becoming an academy uh, as AVOT. Can you kind of talk about the differences a little bit? Because I don't think there's still a few societies out there, but I think a lot of people don't really understand the difference between a society and an academy and just a little bit more about that process gaining recognition from NAVTA? Yeah. Um, so the society, you know, when I had looked it up originally, because I didn't really understand the difference either that many years ago. And it was like, you just basically had to have a brochure that talked about your specialty and you were there to you know, sort of promote things, but that's pretty much the extent of what you were doing. And I think for ophthalmology, like I said, having our own individual meeting kind of already made us an academy without being recognized as far as the right. education side of things um, and running that full bore, you know, of having where we had 100 people. Now we have 150 to 200 people that are just attending our, our session. And we do two full days of sessions. So learning that and doing that and getting our own sponsorship and things like that is not something usual for a society. A society is basically meant to come together with like a listserv and, and a place where people can join together and talk about those things. But the academy was bringing it up to that next level of doing that, where you were going to be the ones speaking, the ones that are, because especially through race and things like that, there was a lot of times where even myself, before I was a VTS, I had to have multiple layers of, through race, of proving that I could be qualified. I had to have, you know, two or three doctor letters of recommendations and things like that. Um, when you're in academy and you have that ability to become a VTS, you don't need that as much. Um, you kind of already get that recognition. So you're already dealing with, I have companies or, you know, publications and things like that that contact us specifically looking for VTSs. So I knew that was out there and making it from that society where you were kind of like a really strong group of people talking about the same love of things to advancing yourselves educationally and being able to take that next level, that next 
test that packet. I mean, the the process through NAFTA was having to write bylaws, which are pages and pages and pages and pages, and it has to be legally. We had to get a 501c3 to be a nonprofit organization as part of it is what they recommend, trademarking your, your name. Lots of things that have evolved over time, but all of those things we had to kind of set into play to have committee members specifically on, on VOTS. Sure, we had committee members because that was the thing that made the most sense and they still had income coming in and things like that. But again, needed to take it to that next level where we had to write out exactly what each committee member was there to do. Um, having a testing committee, having an education committee. So the academy and what NAFTA expects is it broken down and being very specialized into each section. And those bylaws were not easy. They go through them and they still go through them every year with a fine tooth comb. That CVTS committee, they've gotten so much better over the years where they're more consistent. It wasn't as equal across the board. So we would look at other academies and say, ECC, you know, requires three years. Anesthesia requires three years. We tried to base it off of what everybody else had done, but still there was still a couple components that the CVTS was like, well, no, yes, no, yes. And we were like, there should be standard. There should be some sort of standardized way that we're all working. This, our bylaws should say very similar things. We should have the same expectations for the people that are coming up. And that has grown and they're doing a much better job. I even noticed within this past year, and I know you've had um, some people on talking about it is just that standardization and them holding everybody to it and having little subcommittees on the CVTS committee of who's going to read through everybody's bylaws, who's going to go through their constitution and say, okay, this is the things that they have. What has changed over time? What should change? Um, where everybody's kind of upping from that three-year mark to the five-year because you notice when you get these packets coming through and if you read some of the packets, you can tell the, the kind of green level that they're still at where you want to say, I want you to master it. And I want them to to understand that as an academy, we expect mastery. So we always use that, right? And a lot of people have said this of like mastery isn't doing it once and your doctor watching you and saying, great job. <laughs> this is you being able to step away and confidently be able to do whatever it is you have to do. Competently, you know, confidently have those conversations with a client and being able to discuss the disease process, the treatment necessary, you know, all those things that you're going to go through, the surgery itself, helping people understand those things. That's what we wanted to get across. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a process of going back and forth and then reading and then changing and then reading and then changing to now, like I said, I like the standardization that's occurring. I like that the the next academies coming along should all be held to those same standards and say, if we're doing five years, it's because we're doing five years. It's because that's where we've noticed that we're getting more of that mastery level that we've learned over time, that five years and this amount of hours, not just that signature that says, like I said, I know that disease or I mastered that. We're trusting you to have that level of mastery. We do that just in Blue Pearl in general in our skills list of saying people are like, I just did that. And you're like, right, but you, you that's introduced. You know, we want you to, we want you that's to do one, it a couple right. more times. Right. right. Exactly. You know, you need yeah. to do it a couple more times. You're not just going to level up, you know, every couple months because that's not actually showing true mastery. So I know some people look at us and like, oh, the VTSs and my co-manager is Lisa Smith, who did your forensics episode a oh, while yeah, back. Yeah. So we've worked together for uh, when I was working in general practice, we actually worked together when I started out. So for us, we're those VTS champions that are like, nope, mastery is a very specific word. And we mm -hmm. want you to uphold that mastery level. Um, so I'm sure it's annoying, but, uh, you know, that's what NAFTA is expecting out of these people. So, so do we. Every time we have a new VTS that comes on our show, I, I'm, I'm always curious, 
what are some things that are on your skills list that that you have to master before before you can be considered a VTS? Or things that we wouldn't 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 expect. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's depending on where you're at in practice and what kind of level of things. So we do using a laser. So being a part of this laser usage and understanding a diode laser versus a cutting laser. Those are things that we're going to expect setting up and and preparing for cataract surgery. So those are things that not every technician is going to easily be able to do. So we're going to come in and say, okay, at this level, we expect you to have all of this set up, priming the machine, being able to have your doctor ready to go versus just laying out the equipment and having them set things up, trying to think of what else, being able to do more diagnostics and not just Shermer and fluorescein that a lot of general techs, although I will say it doesn't come easily because you have to know when not to do a Shermer tear test. You don't want to take an eye that has a melty ulcer and shove a Shermer tear test in there because we'll have technicians that'll come in and say, hey, but on that next level, you're going to say, but why? But why shouldn't we do that right now? Refractometry, esthesiometry, like there's a, a few different things that depending on what your practice has. I'm trying to think of my list in my head and like <laughs> going through it. I should know it like the back of my hand. But uh, little odds and ends of equipment that you wouldn't generally see in a general practice as these people come in and knowing that. And then it's really down to the disease processes, really, because a lot of people don't know as much about them because you're not used to seeing when you're in general practice or when you start out as a technician, even in a specialty practice. You know a lot of systemic things and you kind of know what might relate to an emergency because you're seeing a lot of that versus coming into ophthalmology and really understanding the why behind how things happen in the eye, knowing retinal disease processes um, and being able to take retinal pictures, doing ocular ultrasounds, doing electroretinogram tests and, you know, being able to read those electroretinogram tests with your doctor and knowing the results and why the results are that way. So, you know, little things like that, that I say little um, are, are things that you could definitely <laughs> learn, but are all fun things that we get to do for sure. Yeah. A couple of things you mentioned in there. I, 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 I'd never even heard those words before. <laughs> never heard of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah, corneal sensation it. tests, esthesiometry, things like that that we, we talk about that, you know, not even everybody has gets to use one in their practice, but, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. You know, you mentioned in there as well, the, the three year versus five year and in, in the, as far as application and, and whatnot, and we've talked a, a few different times, I think with other VTS from other academies and such. And I think one thing for us, you know, you started looking at this a long time ago after you were already a technician for a few years, same thing with me. It was like, Oh, okay, well, there's this thing that you can do and you've already been a technician for, for several years. And I think now so many people while they're in tech school are learning about these academies. And so they graduate, they want to start that time and they want to apply as soon as possible. And so I think that five year is a much better yeah. mark because previously three years, we were all, a lot of us were already doing this for right. 10 or 15 years before we even found out there was an academy. And I wonder if there's a parallel in veterinary medicine for DVMs too, because I imagine when their specialty academy started, they were older vets who had been had a special interest and were doing these things for a long time. But now veterinary students looking at my time at Tufts, they know when they're a veterinary student, they want to do an internship, they want to do a specific residency and four years out of school, they want to be a specialist. And I, I feel like we have to kind of catch yeah. up with that. And I think that five years is a is a bit better mark, because I think that's a focus for a lot of technician students coming out of school. Yeah, I agree. That's such a good point because that's exactly what happens. And that's the 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 people that we see come through because I'm still as 
just becoming past president finally um, this past year, which I'm good with, they, uh, you know, I'm still part of the applications and seeing some of these initial applications of people where they're like, oh, I just started this even. And I'm like, you didn't even hit the three-year mark yet. Like you're jumping the gun, you know, or they'll call they'll, they'll, or they'll email me and they'll say, I want a mentor. And I just started an ophthalmology yesterday. And I'm like, okay, so not yet. <laughs> I need you to continue to work at ophthalmology. So, you know, it, even that, that three-year mark, like you said, they come out of school and I, I want them to be better educated. I'm glad that people know that these specialties exist, right? Because I do still hear people when they started right. out, you know, weren't as fortunate as me to step into a specialty practice early on and really find that other world of things that was happening. A lot of people stayed in general practice for a long time and then jumped into a specialty or kind of knew that they had an interest and then learned about it. But now I'm glad. I'm glad that people know these things. But at the same time, they also need to put the work in too. You still have to. And there are still some people that did it a long time ago, have been doing it for a long time, and they don't want to go through the VTS. And I, I hate that for some people because I feel like you're, you haven't been doing this too long, you know, where they're like, oh, I've already done this long enough. I don't need that extra. But I, I want to push people to say the same thing in, from their end of, yeah, but do this. Take that extra step because I know you can because you've had that experience versus teach these younger people coming in, you know, younger generation coming in, coming right out of school, thinking, I just started with an ophthalmologist and I'm going to do a VTS. And you're like, not yet. Put in the work. It's just like coming into a practice in general of, I don't want to work weekends and I don't want to work nights. And I'm like, right. I worked overnights and weekends and put in a lot of time. All of that is going to make you a better technician in the end, doing all of those things and really getting in there and, and, and working for it. So I know people got disappointed when they heard, oh, we're going to start moving to this five-year mark. But I agree. I think it's just kind of that knowing that it exists, wanting to jump headfirst into it, but missing that level of mastery that we're looking for. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think you mentioned at the top, if, I, if I'm correct, I think you said you have about 21 members mm -hmm. in your academy currently and a few more testing this year. Take a moment to, to brag on AVOT and your the conference that you do. Feel free to recruit for a moment <laughs> and say why the VTS and ophthalmology is the best one out there. Like I started to say before, just in general with ophthalmology, how it's wonderful and you get lots of different aspects into things. So that's always my, my biggest plug of like, hey, we get to do lots of species, lots of diseases, not just the eyes. But with AVOT specifically, I, I enjoy the fact that we do have our own side of the conference and having, we usually do lectures all day Thursday, all day Friday. Um, so we'll do like eight hours Wednesday or excuse me, Thursday and eight hours Friday. And we will obtain other VTSs that'll do our speaking. We have lots of doctor interaction for sure. We bring anesthesiology into into play. You know, every couple of years we'll have an anesthesiologist come in because that's still a huge part of it is that we're still monitoring anesthesia. We're still running the ventilator um, when we're doing cataract surgery and things like that. So getting in there and getting to learn. We also get to see some of the ophthalmologists that do marine life. So coming to the conference, I think a lot of the people like we have one specific doctor in Florida who works with SeaWorld and a bunch of other marine. It's fun to hear her talk about working on these larger sea creatures. We have a doctor that's from Australia that usually comes and kind of gives us a different side of anxious wallabies and how they can just like keel over. So you learn you learn lots of different, like I said, lots of different species, but the, the, the meetings are fun. It's not just all straight anatomy, which is nice. And then you still get to come and learn the anesthesiology side, the, the internal medicine side where we're talking about diabetes specifically, because that's a huge factor and, and our, our fat 
high triglycerides, schnauzers, things like that, that people don't really think about being such a huge part of ophthalmology. It's fun. We usually provide at our meetings, we've always, over the years, we've kind of incorporated more with ACVO, which has been great. And next year, the plan is to kind of have registration directly through them because we've become big enough being that we're an academy now. They, they've also booked their their places in advance. So we kind of have to know in advance. So we've been working toward this since we've been in academy. So for the past five years, we've been working with them at each location. And ophthalmology gets called like the bougie specialty because we've gone to Hawaii <laughs> twice, Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. um, so we're not just hitting the same place every year. This year, we're going to Palm Springs in California. We've hit San Diego, which I love. Monterey, like we hit California a lot, um, but they like to <laughs> kind of go east to west, which is super fun that I tell people. So usually my my staff members, you know, are like, where's your conference this year? Italy? I'm like, no, it's, you know, we're in Palm Springs at a resort. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. Did you go to Hawaii again? No, I've only been there twice with Ava. So, okay. So they usually like to tease us. So that's one of my other big plugs is that we get to take our RCE in lots of fun places. Hawaii is nice because we did like half day lectures. So we spread them out where you had more days. But you got to go walk out on the beach afterward and enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Puerto Rico. Those those things are pretty much the, <laughs> the funnest part of each year. But getting every <laughs> getting everybody there is not cheap is the downfall. So we like to be the pricey right. ones too, where we're telling our hospitals, hey, pay us and promote our CE because we want to go to this fun location. But also we're really going to learn a lot too. <laughs> so we had pharmacology one year <laughs> that we had some people come just for pharmacology. They also wanted to come because it was Puerto Rico, but they, uh, you know, they had had a reason to come because we do broaden it um, to outside just ophthalmology, um, which is really cool too. And is your conference just all ocular? And is that where you're I'm assuming that's where your exam is, right? Yeah. So for during COVID, we actually did um, virtual exams. We're moving back toward doing in-person exams, but we do it at the conference. And then we have always done a computerized test. Um, we work with a specific company that we're able to uh, have the results while they're there. So oh, generally, wow. we'll pin them in the same year. So we're quick movers. <laughs> so wow. we generally like to be wow. able to either give them a really good yay or some bad news and they want to go home, but we don't want to make them wait you know, a whole nother year. So we, we like that aspect with with COVID, even with last year, it's harder because we don't get to do that kind of official pinning and things like that with them person. This year, we're doing it all, the conference itself in person. Next year, I think we're going to do some back to in-person and virtual, which I think is such a great option for people that can attend our bougie, you know, expensive locations <laughs> and still provide that. But with the help of ACVO, we'll be able to do that a lot better financially because it's not easy to get the sponsors to pay because we still, ACVO might set up the rooms for us. We pay them directly. So we still have to, like I said, come up with that funding. That's all I people that are coming to this. Um, we do invite, we have general staff that's allowed to come, academy members. It's just diff- different rates, you know, obviously based mm-hmm. on your level yeah. of, you know, whether you're licensed or not, or whether you're a VTS. But we love the fact that they'll take their test when they first get there, get it out of the way. And luckily if they pass, then we're able to take them in the middle of the second day of meetings and say, hey, we're going to pin these people while they're here and get them to know. Um, because I, I mean, when I took the VTNE, it was like eight weeks of waiting till you got your results in the mail, right? Now people like walk out of the room and know whether they passed or failed. So we like that concept. And instead of them knowing it still gets reviewed and we still sit down with the testing company afterward to go through the test and the questions and make sure everything's good. And then we're able to tell them that year, which is pretty awesome. I wonder if that's because you take note, AVECT. (laughs) But but Jeff, I I bet it's because, (laughs) you know, with AVECT and we have 
60, 70 people taking the exam every year. And, and how many take yours, Natalie? Yep. Like four. Like, right. Yeah. So, so it, it's like, yeah, right, but, totally different. But, but still, if it's, so it's, it's still, if it's a computerized mm -hmm. exam, they should still, I mean, you think about how many people take a VTNE on a yeah. given day or what, like it, they should still be able to, That's true. Uh, I yeah. mean, by the time they're done, have, have an idea. And like you said, you don't necessarily do it that day. You still do the review process mm -hmm. and pin them the next day, but. Yeah. Usually it's like a two day. We'll have the test on like Tuesday. Wednesday will be when we're setting up for the meeting that we'll have like a joint uh, welcome reception and register like early registration. So between yeah. Tuesday evening and Wednesday during the day, we're going through. But again, with a lot more staff member or a lot more uh, testers, you obviously, it's a lot longer of a process to go yeah, through. Sure. But being that the meeting's only really two days for us and having that short amount of, you know, that small amount of people, it is easier for us. But I definitely, I, yeah. I, they love it. Um, I think for the most part, <laughs> um, you know, we, and yeah. we try not to really like point out like who is testing, you know, it's like Tuesday before most of the people even get there. Right. So right. if they don't want to tell anybody right. that they tested and there's no shame in that, lots of famous people have taken tests multiple times before they passed. Right. So I tell everybody again, yep. even, yep. See, even with the packet process, I tell people I've actually had to talk people in to continuing their packet process because they, we tell them, at the end, okay, you didn't pass this time around. We need you to do this, this, and this. You're going to resubmit. We're actually out to really help these people do yeah. this again, you know, and some people have been super discouraged where I'm like, listen, don't get yourself this discouraged. Don't think this is the end all be all because, you know, some of your paragraphs, some of your information needed to be more detailed. That's something you can fix. That's something you can work on. If you don't pass the test, we had that. We've had that happen and they come back again next year and they pass and they're, they're always saying, I'm glad I didn't give up. I'm glad that I didn't let one small non-passing grade. I don't like to use the, the other words of but non-passing <laughs> doesn't mean that you're not going to pass the next time or the next time. And we do still have that kind of three rule where if you, you know, after the third time, then do it again. But I wouldn't be here in this academy if I would have given up that easily when we were told, no, that's not enough people. No, your bylaws need to be adjusted. No, we've changed this now. We wouldn't be here if I thought it was that easy to yeah. give up. So, you know, I, I try to say that to people that it took us a long time to get here and it may take you a long time to get to where you want to be, but you're going to get there. You just have to keep trying. Awesome. Awesome. Before we start to wrap up here, I'm, I'm just curious, what are a few things that you would love for technicians that do not work with an ophthalmology department to, to know or know how to do? Um, so I would say restraint is a huge part of it mm -hmm. uh, because most people don't realize that patient restraint is different from a physical exam. So one of the things I like to teach the general staff when I do is, is literally patient restraint and eye drop application because most people are not paying attention to even your owner in the room of, I have to remind people that we don't want pressure around their jugular veins. So you'll have a client when you're standing there and you're trying to hold your hand underneath of their chin, not touching their neck and holding behind their head is kind of what I teach people. And it's not a headlock. It's not, you know, where you're holding for like a whole body where your arm might be not headlocking, but under their neck and your hands underneath their back. And this is more where you really have to keep that patient's head steady. So clients will be trying to help you and they'll be pulling on their leash or holding their collar tight. And I have to kind of say to people, Hey, let me, let, let, let me just let you go. Let, let yourself go here. It's okay if you stand here and pet them, but maybe let go of their collar because we're going to get false elevation of, of our intraocular pressure. When we do our tonometry, we're going to have false elevation because of the way we're doing this. 
I, I love your help. And I tell that to staff members. I have a couple of stuffed animals that I teach people on to say, this is your brachiocephalic breed. This is going to be a dog that you have a longer nose. We don't get the benefit of using muzzles. They cover up everything. <laughs> so I have to deal with a ninja cat differently than you might be able to deal with a ninja cat when you're trying to draw blood saphenously, where you don't have to be up at their head. We have to kind of do those fear-free techniques at, you know, from our standpoint, because we can't cover up. I mean, they make a couple of those fishbowl, put their head in the fishbowl thing, style e-collars. They still have lines and dots in them. So you can't really get a good picture of their eyes. So, mm -hmm. you know, I try to teach people that kind of hands off less is best restraint for everything in general. Obviously, we love fear free, but at the same time for ophthalmology, it is more than just, oh, I just hold this patient still. It's keeping them, if you have to back them into a corner, we do things like it's the big flip. We had a dog like that used to eat us and its owner. And the only way they ever taught it to do anything was to flip it over like a baby and say, big flip <laughs> every time. So we teach people the big flip to say, feeding them like lions. We had a chow that used to try to kill me and we would feed him beef jerky while we were able to look at his eyes was just keeping him like as if we were feeding a tiger beef jerky. <laughs> and if the beef jerky ran out, he would start lunging at us and his family. <laughs> so we had, to, it wasn't really the healthiest. So internal medicine would kill me for saying that, but I, it was the way that we were able to examine or keeping yeah. the cats in the carrier. So just things like that, focusing on that in general practice, I tell people to teach her when you teach your puppy and kitten kind of skills of the food, when they're eating, put your hand, teaching them food manners, teaching them leash manners, also teaching them eye drop manners. So start with artificial tears in your brachiocephalic dogs when they're little, because I'm going to see them when they're two years old and have a melting ulcer and tell you, you're going to have to do drops every hour to two hours. And this client's going to look at me like I'm crazy, but that should be part of your puppy training. That should be part of playing with their paws, teaching them those manners. It's part of doing eye drops. So I tell a lot of people to kind of incorporate artificial tears into their daily training styles, because that's a huge help for later on when they do actually have a problem. Mm, excellent. Absolutely. You know, one question we always ask, you know, is there, as you said, you've listened to the show before, is there a person that you would like to hear us interview or a topic you think you would like to hear us have an episode mm. about that we haven't before or that you would like us to mm. revisit? You guys have covered so much. Um, <laughs> as gross as it is, I love Lisa's forensics. That's not just a plug for her, but it's a really interesting yeah, topic. for sure. We um, love that. We love that fascinating one. That was amazing. Episode. Amazing. Yeah. Like I yeah. don't like the things that she does when something happens on ER, like that she's like on it, bust out her case. I think that's something to remind people of for sure. Um, and I just appreciate the fact of focusing on the different specialties themselves and getting people to, you know, know what each of us loves about them. Yeah. I mean, Steve Seitel, I mean, he's, he was actually the one person that drove because he was in California and was able to drive to us to actually present us with our NAFTA certificate. So he's always a fun one of mine to listen to talk about anything because um, he just cracks me up. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, the, the, you just have such a, a great variety of people on. I, I don't even know. I, you've covered so many wonderful bases. Okay. We do need to talk to Steven again. So Steven, you're, you're, you're on our <laughs> yeah. radio yes, right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Definitely. All right, Natalie. So we are now down to your, would you rather question? Are you uh -oh. ready for it? Okay. Okay. Would you rather know where we go when we die? or what happened before the Big Bang? Oh, I love dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> my, <laughs> my husband would kill me for not talking about that because that would be, yeah. Um, God, yeah, I, I, I want to know the past you more know the than past? where I go afterward. Yeah, yeah. I think that would yeah. be definitely something I would rather see more of. 
Yeah, I, I have a good idea yeah, of where we go afterward. So yeah. I'm just going to leave that happy place in my head, and I want to go back to to you know. Well, I, before yeah. the Big Bang. I think knowing what happened before the Big Bang is something that you would have to actually go back to do. Whereas knowing where we go and we die, eventually we're going to figure that out. Yeah, that's that's a, that, that exactly. That's great. That's a great way to put it for sure. Yeah, I would definitely like Good to point. go back. Good yeah. point. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for the for the time today to come talk to us about um, ABOT and and VTS and ophthalmology. I think it was a fascinating discussion. Even as a VTS and ECC, there were definitely some words and procedures <laughs> you mentioned that I've never heard before. So I think that's really super cool and. We always get really good feedback from at least one or two people after an episode like this, you know, that hear somebody talk about how excited they are about their specialty and it kind of gets them to go down that path. So hopefully that's the same for uh, for this episode, too. I always just yeah, so I hope so, for sure. I love it. So yeah. thank you very much for the uh, for the time. We really appreciate no, thank it. Thank you guys both for the time. Appreciate it. You bet. Well, caffeinators, it was great uh, chatting with you again today. We'll We'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye, guys. Hello, caffeinators. We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media. They can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community, and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, caffeinators, we would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day. Thank you.